Hey, before we open the word together this morning, I felt it was important that we take a little time to debrief from the 10-day liquid fast that we are just coming off of. If you've been gone or you're visiting today, we have just together done a 10-day liquid fast from the 17th through the 26th of January. And I really felt like as the Lord put that in my heart, he impressed upon me that it was a fast for victories, okay? And um, I don't have an exact number, but I know that there were over 250 people who participated in this fast in some way, shape, or form. The reason I know that is um, we had sign-ups for 220 Chick-fil-A sandwiches, and I know I've heard from at least 30 other people who said, I can't make it to that, but I'm doing this with you. See, we ordered 10 extra sandwiches, and uh, 220 signed up. 220 showed up. That is the first time in the history that I've been here that the number was exact. It took me... Three hours to eat those extra 10 Chick-fil-A sandwiches, but I got them down and it was wonderful. Here's what I want to do this morning, okay, just for a couple of minutes, all right? And I want some audience interaction. So I've got Justin and Robin, and I think Rob, yeah, Rob's up in the balcony. So um, here's what I want to do. Um, This is not going to be a, so raise your hand if you participated because there's no shame. There's no embarrassment. I said, if you can't do it, you can't do it. If you can do it in some form, do it. So I'm not going to call anybody out to kind of see who did and who didn't, but I want to ask some questions that I do need some hand response to, but if you don't raise your hand, nobody's going to think that means you didn't participate. It just wasn't this particular area that fit you. All right. But, um, I, I want to, to see and I want to have opportunity if some words come to your mind that fit these categories, I want you just to, to stand up and, and speak them out, all right? The people stationed with microphones, if you're not loud enough, they'll relay what you just said. The point of this is, folks, for you to get a picture of what God has been up to during this fast, okay? So... Um, 10 day fast for victories. How many of you saw any victories in your workplace or your work situation? Could I see your hands? Awesome. Any words come to mind that you just want to speak out about that? Hey, if the microphones aren't used, they aren't used. That's okay. Um, how about financial victories, victories financially or in, in money situations? Any words you want to say, speak out? <laughs> okay. That was Hallel- that was hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Robin. You picked right up on this. Hallelujah. Good. All right. Any of you have enough victory that you want to give me that two million dollars I've been asking the Lord for? <laughs> Not yet. Okay. Um, how about relationships that have been healed, or really you've seen an improvement in those relationships because of this fast? Oh, this would be the time again to call out the words. I don't. I have to say that every time. Anything you want to share? Peace. My relationship with the Lord and worship time has been awesome. Okay, that was the next one. How many of you? <laughs> nope, no problem whatsoever. How many of you have seen something in your own walk? Your worship has increased. Your time in the Word. Your hunger for the Word. Your. Let's see your hands. Let's have some words on this one. Come on, you guys. Okay, you're off the hook, Sharon. You just did. Humble. 
Humble. Humble. Good. Excellent. Feel more humility in your heart. Good. Faithful. Faithful. Okay. You feel more faithful? You've seen God to be more faithful? Yes. Both. Both. Great. Okay. I think I heard the word meek. Meek. Awesome. Meekness is your own strength under God's control. And that's something he's after in all of us. A new meekness. Good. Anything else? More hope. Awesome. Up here, peace. Some more peace. peace. Good. Dependence. Ah, greater dependence. Boldness. Boldness and witness. Ah, boldness in your witness. I know God's after that. More Trust. trust. Good. More obedience. Good. Confidence. More confidence. Great. This is good. This is what I was after. Anything else? What was it? Selfless. You're more selfless. Good. How many of you feel closer to your spouse if you're married because of this? My hand went right up. Jan had to think about it. (laughs) What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'll pay for that later, won't I? Maybe you should fast some more. (laughs) Or maybe I should. (laughs) Okay. Amen. (laughs) Yep. I I make a pinata out of myself on a regular basis, don't I? Okay. How about um, any physical healings? Anyone see physical healing show up? Bob. Bob did. Yeah. I saw that testimony. That's awesome. And several in your family, too. It's, that's great. That's great. What I'm after in this, I wanted to just prime the pump a little bit. We passed out half sheets of paper Thursday night, knowing that some of you wouldn't be able to make it, knowing that some of you said you'd get them back in today, knowing that some of you are going, oh, shoot, I forgot. Um, the ushers have them, and there's some on the table that's behind, behind the soundboard. Please fill these out. I, I think it would be such a wonderful thing if over the next year periodically, and it will be as often as we have testimony, that we can video some testimonies of what the Lord did through this time. For some of you, and we're in that camp, the victory hasn't come yet, okay? And I really believe that God is more interested in thorough work than quick work, amen? And some of the things I know we're praying for, aren't, they're not going to be quick, but they're going to be thorough. And so I, I just want to say to you, Uh, I'm so proud of you for participating in this. Um, God is not finished yet. It's not like we fasted for 10 days and so he had 10 days to do something. You planted seeds that we probably haven't even begun to see uh, the harvest from. Don't give up, okay? And don't lose your edge. Oh, is he saying I got to keep fasting? No. Although I would say one of the responses that came in said that second Monday fast that we do, the one Monday a month that we fast together, was a great help for somebody to be able to do the 10 days of liquid fasting. So let's keep doing that. If you haven't ever done that and you've done the 10 day, one day is a piece of cake. Oh, I shouldn't say cake, but it's a lot easier than 10 days. And, uh, Continue in the other disciplines that you started, okay? I feel closer to the Lord. I'm spending more time in his word. Well, just because you're not fasting doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep that one up. I did feel prompted of the Lord this morning that I wanted to um, just share a mini teaching 
on what we've just accomplished and the benefit of it. And I think it'll also be an ongoing benefit, okay? So, David, let's put that verse up. There's a little phrase in Psalm 35, verse 13, where King David said these words, I humbled my soul with fasting. A lot of people say, what does fasting accomplish? What does it do? Well, as I said, this fast, I feel, was a fast for victories. So victories have come or they will continue to come in our lives. But when I asked how many of you feel closer to the Lord, a greater sense of his presence, etc., etc., did you notice how many hands went up? I mean, that, that's almost a byproduct for everyone that did this fast. And that little phrase right there, I think, is one of the reasons why. Let me explain that one to you, okay? Your soul consists, I think, of three things. It's talking about your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's your soul is, is what you think about, what you decide to do, and how you feel. There's a battle going on in all of our lives, okay? And it's for control of your soul. And on one side of that battle is your flesh, who's in cahoots with the world and the devil, vying for controlling what you think about, what you finally decide to do, and how you feel about things. On the other side of this tug of war is your spirit slash the Holy Spirit. And there's a constant battle going on in us every day, all the time for who's going to rule our soul. Who's going to control how we think and what we think about, what we eventually decide to do, obey or not obey, and how we feel about things. Are we filled with faith or are we filled with fear? Things like that. One of the things that fasting does is it causes your soul to come into greater alignment with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God. And so that's why I would encourage you. This has been a great experience. And the the, the feedback I've gotten from people about, yeah, this was hard, but was it hard or was it good? It's overwhelming that this was really good. Okay, so continue in the disciplines that you've started, whether it's continue to fast once in a while. For sure, I would hope you would join us in the second Monday, but continue with those disciplines that have come out of this in terms of the spirit of God having greater reign in your heart and your mind. Okay, in your mind and your will and your emotions. Let's continue to press in in those areas. Okay, because that's where we'll see more and more victories. This makes sense. I think it's a tiny little phrase that says a mouthful to us about life and what's going on. Okay. Again, I'm, I'm so proud of you. I am humbled by your response. I know the Lord is inordinately pleased with, um, this whole experience. It's been good. Okay. If you have a uh, bulletin on the back, there's an opportunity to take some notes. I haven't written a lot down because I've just felt like giving you some space to write what impresses your heart. It's kind of the way to go in this series that we're doing on the book of the Revelation. The series is entitled Game Over, and the final score is. Let me give you just a little quick update, okay? All the seven seals have been broken. The four horsemen have been summoned. The voice from heaven says to them, come. 
and we've seen that they've come. The one on the white horse representing the conquering. The one on the red horse, symbolic of war that will be all over this planet. The black horse, symbolic of rampant inflation and the fact that there will be scarcity on the earth. The ashen horse or the pale horse representing death and pestilence and famine. When the sixth seal was broken, there's a story there about the martyr's plea to God to avenge them and what's happened to them. The sixth seal brings a great earthquake that causes massive cosmic disturbance to the planet. That's chapter 6. Chapter 7 was one of those interlude chapters where the scene shifted back to heaven and we saw the story of the 144,000 and then the great multitude, people from every trunk, tribe, tribe, nation, and peoples, too great to count. Chapter 8, that's when the seventh seal is broken and there's silence, it says, in heaven for half an hour. And then we read of the sounding of the first four of the seven trumpets. The first trumpet, when it was blown, unleashed hail and fire on the earth. And it says a third of the earth was burned up. The second one seems to be massive volcanic eruptions going on all over the place. Great upheavals so that a third of the oceans and and the seas, the the salt water, is, is ruined. The third trumpet, when it sounds, meteors and stars are falling uh, to the earth from the sky so that a third of the fresh water, the lakes and the streams and the rivers, turn bitter. When the fourth one is sounded, a third of the sun and the moon and the stars are darkened. And it seems to indicate that they're not just a third dimmer, but that for a third of the day, it's pitch black. It's frightening. And then chapter 8 ends with these words. Then I looked... And I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. I said last week that three woes are indicative of how severe it's going to be, the severity of what's coming to this earth. When Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, I say unto you, what what does that mean? It means, listen up, this is really important, pay attention. Folks, that's verily, verily. This is woe, woe, woe. It's like the first one is to the second power, this one is to the third power. It's ten times as emphatic to want to say to us, what's coming is awful. These three woes are representative of the next three trumpets. Each woe represents one of the trumpets that sound, two of them in chapter 9 and one over in chapter 11. We'll get to that one later. The eagle, it says, is in in the mid-heaven. That means it's for all to see, and it speaks with a loud voice, meaning it's for all to hear. What comes out of this eagle's mouth is really, really important for everyone who's still here on this planet at this time to see, to hear, to understand what is coming upon or what is coming against those who dwell on the earth. What does that mean? Do you remember? Who's that talking about? 
everybody that's going to be here is going to get it? No. Those who dwell on the earth is a, a synonymous phrase for unbelievers, the unrighteous, the rebellious people who will be on this earth at this time. Folks, this isn't going to be a private affair. It's not going to be happening kind of over on the side. They're going to be called, as it were, to the principal's office and they're going to be scolded. Now, this is going to be a public display of perfect justice and mercy all wrapped into one. Then we come to chapter 9. That's our text for today. And there's a clear, dramatic, and I mean this, a dramatic shift in what we see transpiring. A shift in the severity of what happens and a shift in terms of who the, the target is, quote unquote. I don't know what other word to use. Remember last week I gave you a quick math, math lesson. And as we reviewed what was going on, we said that in chapter 6, it talked about a quarter through those four horsemen, a quarter of the earth, the land and the water would be affected by the first four of those seven seals, those four horsemen. And then when we get over to chapter 8, it talks about a third of the land and the water, the seas and the, and the rivers, etc., being affected by the first four of the seven trumpets. And when you do the math... That's seven-twelfths of this planet, 58 and a third percent. Is that only staggering to me or is that staggering to you as well? To think that that's what's coming on this planet Earth. I, I also said last week that um, while I absolutely believe in the difference between the wrath of God aimed at the dwellers and these these judgments and these consequences of sin, that I, I, I don't know that there is an absolute guaranteed protection during this unfolding up to this period of time because it's a little fuzzy as to what's the wrath, what's those bowls, and is the, are the trumpets part of the wrath, and are the seals, is there overlap? And we don't know exactly. So... I said I couldn't guarantee biblically, scripturally, that there's 100% absolute protection from all of this for Christians who would be here at this time. Because I don't think it's any different than there's not 100% protection today, is there, from natural disasters and calamities? When there are tsunamis and earthquakes and when the World Trade Center tower falls, Christians die, okay? But the bottom line is not how you die, whether you die a nice peaceful death or you're, you know, in dying a tragedy or, or even when you die. And I really want to emphasize that one today. Okay. Rob, come help me for a minute. Okay. You, you still jog, right? Okay. Rob for a fellow, his young age is in about the best shape of anybody I know. And I just want him to help me illustrate something here. Okay. Sure. So when we talk about, it's not how you die and it's not when you die, it's important for us to understand this. Your life, my life, his life, all of our lives is like the tiniest dot I could put on that piece of paper. That's your life. That right there represents eternity. And I don't want you to think for a moment that it stops right here. As a matter of fact, Rob, I want, I'd like you to do something for me, if you would, please. 
why don't you just take this? Because uh, I didn't want to waste paper. I want to be a good steward of our... Well, I won't even have you take this. I want you to be a good steward of our natural resources. So I want you to pretend that you had this pad of paper with you. And I want you to kind of symbolically hold this and hold that. And I'd like you to head out that way. And I'd like you to not, take your time, okay? I don't expect you back for a couple years. I'd like you to run... A, <laughs> I'd like you to run around the earth. I have one question. Yes. Am I still going to get paid? You will still get paid. Yes, you will get paid. But I want you to symbolize for us, and, you know, 10 years from now, six years, I don't know how long it'll take you, but I'd like you to run around the earth to, to, yeah, with holding that, yes. Symbolizing the difference between your life, our lives, this little dot, this speck, and how long eternity goes. So head on out, and we'll see you in a couple years. Thank you, Robert. He's the most loyal, wonderful, faithful man I know. He'll do anything I ask him to do, as long as I pay him. Okay, so, see, it doesn't matter if you die in the World Trade Center or a calamity, because your life's just a dot compared to what's at stake here, eternity, right? Eternity is forever, all right? So, the bottom line issue is not how or when it's who and what it's who you know do you know jesus have you received what he's done for you on that cross as your savior and lord that's the bottom line in this thing so chapter nine is a major shift from the first four trumpets that release a a blend and again it's a little vague it's hard to tell exactly what's what but a blend of the judgments from god mixed in, commingled in with the natural consequences of sin that come upon this earth as a result of man's bad choices. Because whether we like to admit this or not, our sin affects not only each other, not only our closest family members or even our church family. I don't quite get this, but God built this whole thing, planet included, in a way that it it all ties together. Look at this verse in scripture. The Lord said to the children of Israel, and I think there's application to all of us, in Leviticus 20.22, you are therefore to keep all my statutes and all my ordinance and do them. Why? So that the land which I am bringing you into to live will not spit you out. It doesn't say, God didn't say, you better obey so that I won't spit you out. Who's going to spit them out? The land. Folks, without complete perfect understanding of that, you need to get this. There is a connection in this big thing God built called creation, which includes people and the planet earth and all the stars and moons and everything else. And sin does not just impact your life and my life, it even has impact on the planet. And as we've been looking at these these seals and these first four trumpets, all these natural catastrophes and disasters that are coming are some crazy mixture of God's judgment, but also the natural consequences that come because of sin. They're somehow interconnected. But this thing moves. We're about to see a movement here, okay? From the natural consequences and the natural connections to things that are directly against the dwellers of the earth. And these next ones are demonically inspired 
from the very pit itself. Okay, so you watch this difference as we as we move along. And I I think there's a there's a parallel here. I've been saying this to you, not an exact overlap, but there's a parallel here between what we see unfolding and what happened to the children of Israel when they were in Egypt before their exodus. Some of the parallel, I think, is we're anticipating a final exodus also. Are we not? We're going to a promised land. Are we not? And so there's parallel here in this thing. When you read through the plagues in the book of Exodus and what happened, there, there moves from a, a more a minor, not quite as bad, involves more of everybody. Those were the ones when the Nile River turned to blood and the frogs were on the land. That impacted everybody, Israelites and Egyptians, to ones that seemed to have an impact on Egypt, but a sparing by God, the boils. Didn't affect the children of Israel. The swarms of insects, the gnats, Egypt, not Israel. The total darkness, there was light in the Israeli's house. To finally, the last one, which I think is quite parallel to what chapter 9 talks about. Death. The Egyptians, because there wasn't the blood of the lamb, they weren't sealed by God experience death. And you're going to see that really clearly in this chapter. Okay. Watch for those kind of parallels. So, uh, David Campbell is going to be our reader this morning. So grab one of these microphones, David, if you'd make your way up. Yeah. Rob would have handed that to me, but he's probably somewhere in Lyman by now. (laughs) Would you stand please as we read together God's word? Thank you, David. Revelation. Revelations chapter 9. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. And power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days... Men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, Two woes are still coming after these things. Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks, David. 
Okay, let's, uh, let's work our way through this passage, okay? Now, for those of you that are serious students and want to do some additional study on your own, you might make a note on, your, on the back of your bulletin and just write Joel 1 and 2. Because in Joel, chapters 1 and 2, there's a lot of parallel to what we're reading about here. Joel chapter 1 and 2 talk about the day of the Lord. And that's reference to the second coming of Christ and locusts play a big role in that prophecy that Joel gives. So you'll see parallels there. If you want to go home on your own and study that, you can. We're not going to take the time here, but that's just for your own reference point. Verse number one, then the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to the earth and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. First question I have for you is who's the star? There are three options. Okay. Three different beliefs on this, three different theories. The first one is that the fallen star is talking about Satan. One of the reasons why some commentators believe that is there's a lot of scripture that seems to paint a very similar picture and uses similar language in terms of talking about him. Isaiah 14 is probably the, the most prominent, the most well-known. In a lot of Bibles, the, the heading or the, the, the superscript over the top of that scripture says, a taunt against the king of Babylon. Okay, so... There's a dual meaning to that I'll get to after I read the scripture uh, to you. This is Isaiah 14, starting at verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. See those words? The star that's fallen. You son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. Folks, right there is the definition of Satan's primary downfall in sin. It was pride, wanting to be. Equal to God. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities? Who did not allow his prisoners to go home? There's a lot of parallel language there that would cause one to think this is talking about the devil himself. The, the taunt against the king of Babylon. I think it's another one of those scriptures that have a dual meaning. I think it's talking literally about a king, an actual king in actual Babylon. But Babylon, as we're going to see when we get further into the revelation, is talking about a city, but it's talking about something bigger than just a city. It's talking about a world system that is 100% anti God, okay? Satan is the king of that system, by the way. Here's another supporting scripture. In Luke chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus said this. The 70 returned with joy after Jesus had sent them out to minister. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. The second option, if it's not Satan, is that it's another fallen angel who is a part of Satan's kingdom. Do you know that the uh, kingdom of God has authority structure and hierarchy in it? So does the kingdom of darkness. There's the same kind of thing going on. So it's possible that it's one of uh, his henchmen, but I personally believe that scripture seems to line up more to this being Satan himself. One of the reasons is verse number 11. We're going to jump ahead in our text and look at that and then go back to where we were. 
as we've been reading through that text, it says they have a king over them, these locusts that are coming up out of the, the abyss, the pit. They have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it's Apollyon. A king is the top dog, right? The big chief, the big kahuna. His name is Abaddon, which means destruction, or Apollyon, which means the exterminator or the destroyer. Does that sound like the devil? I mean, isn't that his job description? Isn't that what Jesus said about him in John chapter 10? The thief, the devil, comes only to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. Apollyon, Abaddon, the king over those creatures and those beasts. That's who I personally think it is. There's other scholars who think it's a, it's a good angel. It's an angel commissioned by God to carry out this fifth trumpet woe. And in that case, fallen wouldn't mean he's fallen from grace or fallen from his position as a good angel. Fallen would just mean like a snowflake has fallen. It's fallen down out of heaven to do what it's called to do. You know, it's no big deal which of those it is. I personally think Satan makes the most sense. But here is the bigger issue, the giant issue in this whole thing. Put that verse, there we go. Fifth angel, star from heaven falls. Key to the bottomless pit was last word that's in bold is what? Given. Here's what you always, always, always have to remember when we talk about these calamities and how awful, terrible this is. That word given is a Greek expression that implies express permission is given by the one who is absolutely in charge. Okay? It's not like, well, I can't stop you, so go ahead. It's not that kind of given. It's, I'm still in control. I'm still in charge. Here's the key. You are going to do exactly what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it. No more, no less. That's what we have to understand as we watch this calamity unfold. Who's in charge? I'm sorry, that wasn't very resounding. Who's in charge? God. Remember the picture? The big picture? It's God. And then down below him on equal footing is Satan, a fallen archangel, and all the other archangels. And then below them are good angels and demons. This is not a wrestling match between God and Satan on equal footing. It's God. And then it's archangels and Satan, the fallen archangel. He, if it is him or if it's one of the bad guys, or even if it's a good angel, it's by permission that they do what they do. Got that? This is a picture of the 100% absolute sovereignty of God as this mess unfolds. It says to us, he is 100% in control. It goes all the way back to the first verse. I didn't put it up as a slide because I'm sure you know it by now. These things must take place. The whole book it's talking about. They must take place to fulfill the perfect, all-wise, merciful, righteous, loving, justice-filled plan of God. I don't understand. That's why you're not God. (laughs) There's a spot in this, folks. We have to just step back and say, even if I don't understand, even if I don't like it all, God, you're in control. And I believe that. Okay. 
Same scripture. These keys. Keys are always symbols of authority, all right? And it's all God-given authority. This angel, even if it's Satan himself, as I said, he only opens this abyss, this bottomless pit, because God says, okay, now. Now is the time. But here's what you will do, and here's what you will not do. Do I make myself clear? And at this moment, the devil ain't fighting. He ain't arguing. He's doing what he's told to do. Okay? By the way, literally that word there is the shaft to the bottomless pit or the abyss. It's not the whole thing. He doesn't open the whole thing. It's like he opens the shaft. He opens the door. Church, remember, no matter how crazy this calamity gets, if we're still here, whatever the trials and tribulations look like that fill this world, if we're still here, God's absolute authority and absolute sovereignty knows no limits. It even extends to the very abyss, to the very pit itself. Because it's God. Archangels, Satan, good angels, demons. Amen? Even over the most nasty, evil, awful place, this side of hell, those keys are granted. That authority is given to do what you're told to do. God says, you open it. I'll tell you when to shut it. You let out who I say to let out. Something in my little mind loves the picture of the devil being reduced to a doorman or an elevator operator. I just like that. How you have fallen. Wow. Okay, a couple things about this bottomless pit. Bottomless, bottomless pit. It's the place, remember that story of the, the guy named Legion who was afflicted by all those demons and Jesus came and cast them out? This is the place they begged Jesus not to send them. So he sent them into that herd of swine instead. That's what this place is. Uh, This is the place where the beast is going to come up out of when we get to chapter 11 and see him wage war against those two witnesses in Revelation 11. It'll be a couple weeks till we get there. Finally, this is the same place where Satan is going to be bound and chained during the thousand year, the millennial reign of Christ. This one's so good I want to look at it because it's a great preview of coming attractions. If you get bogged down in chapter 9 and, oh, this is so terrible, so awful, let's keep remembering what's coming, okay? Revelation chapter 20, then I saw an angel, it's a different angel, coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. So Satan, if it is him or whoever that other star, fallen star is, they have to give the key back because their particular assignment and work is done. This angel comes down holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand and he lay hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, synonymous, not two different beings, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Can you see how in this scripture also, it's not an equal tug of war between God and the devil? Crying out loud, God sends just another angel and he chains him up and puts him in the abyss. Get it? Yeah, woohoo is the right answer. I agree. This is the ultimate demotion. You know, maybe he's not a doorman or an elevator operator. Maybe he moves from being a prison guard to being an inmate. I like that picture too, if I have to be honest with you. I think it fits. It's good. Okay? This is the ultimate demotion. Talk about getting fired. Get it? Hell? Fired? (laughs) Never mind. Actually, this is not hell. Okay? 
This is not hell. When we look at this portion of scripture, let's put the next slide up. After this fifth angel sounds that horn and the star falls, it says, He opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. This great furnace, it's not talking about hell. This is not the fires of hell. This is a place called Sheol, which is the place of the unrighteous dead, the wicked dead. It's the the underworld for evil. The place where the unrighteous dead go awaiting the final judgment and final destination that won't happen until we get to chapter 20. But it is a place of punishment. It's an awful, terrible place. It's just not their final destination. But it's a bad place. In Luke chapter 16, there's a little story talking about Sheol and somebody begs for somebody to come and just give them a little water because I am in a place of torment and agony in these flames. So even Sheol is a preview of what hell is going to be like for the unrighteous, for the wicked. There are locusts that come up out of this and folks, they are they are a mutant animal who is demonic. Well, Ken, is it, is it a mutant animal or is it a demon? It, I don't know. But it's, it's all of that somehow wrapped up together. And they had power. They could sting. They're locusts. They're not scorpions, but they could sting like a scorpion. Anyone here ever been stung by a scorpion? Give one word that comes to mind. Ow, and that was probably mellow. I've heard that a scorpion sting is terribly, terribly painful. And these things don't just sting a little bit once in a while. They were told, these locusts were told not to hurt the grass of the earth. This is verse 4. Nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men without the seal of God on their foreheads. Folks, locusts are devourers by nature. They are. When, when I was a youth pastor and I first came here, we had a youth event out at a house by the devil's backbone. And it was during a season when the grasshoppers were ferocious and thick. And these grasshoppers were eating the siding off of these people's houses. That's the kind of devourers they are. But God in this instance says, no, I don't want you eating up stuff. You're here for a different purpose. You little demonic horde, you are here not to eat up all the vegetation. That's already happened, by the way, in chapter 8. This time you are to attack people. Now, should you be afraid? Why not? Because you have the seal of God upon you if you are a Christian. And so if we're still here, we have nothing to worry about. I said a couple weeks ago, I believe that the mark of the beast is a visible symbol because it has earthly uh, world system impact. I believe the seal of God, the mark of God is invisible, but it will be seen in the spirit world. And these demonic hordes, these locusts will be able to look at you and look at me and go, they're off limits. They bear the seal of God. Glad for that. I am. You bet. Who has this seal? Well, again, the options are believers, because the the church is still here, or the 144,000, those Jews who came to know Christ as Messiah, that was in chapter 7, or maybe those who are saved, if the rapture's already taken place, those who have been saved after the seventh seal and the first trumpet at the beginning of chapter 8. 
Now, those would be the people who responded to these consequences because God's heart in all this, again, is not punitive, it's mercy. He brings this so that they will repent. I believe there's going to be a group who ultimately do repent. I think it's all three of those, frankly. That's my personal take and personal opinion. But if you don't agree, that's fine. Let's keep moving. Next verses. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who did not have the seal of God in their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone. Not yet, anyhow. But to torment for five months. And the torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die. And death flees from them. Folks, I think this right there, that is a statement of the ultimate irony. Think about that for a minute. Rather than repent, rather than turn from their sin and their wickedness and receive forgiveness and to be cleansed from those sins, to be saved, to have a place in heaven, to have eternal life forever, there are going to be people who say, I would rather die than bow my knee to God. We probably, most of us sit in a place and just scratch our heads and go, how, what? How could that be possible? Well, I think there's a couple reasons how that could be possible. How could you make such a horrible choice? Personally, I think it stems all the way back to the beginning of this book called the Bible. I think it goes back to the Garden of Eden. God said to Adam and Eve in that garden, you can eat from any tree. And there were a lot of good trees, weren't there? But you can't eat from this one. Because when you eat from it, you'll die. Is that a restrictive, hindering statement or a protective statement? It's protective. It's 100% protective. It's like seeing a fence. Is a fence to keep you in and restrict you? Or could it be that a fence is to keep all your enemies away from you? You see, that's God's initial, uh, original initial commandment to Adam and Eve. It wasn't punitive or harsh or restrictive. It was protective. But something in them bought a lie about who God was. And folks, that lie has been perpetuated throughout the ages, has it not? Because there are still people who have a faulty picture of God. They see him as punitive and, and restrictive. And you're just trying to ruin all my fun. And it drives these people to shake their fist at him and say, I'd rather die than serve a God like you. Because they're so deceived. You're just here to cramp my style and ruin all my fun. When God is here to protect them and desires to spare them. People ask me as we're in this study, not the seals and the trumpets, um, which ones are judgments and punitive? Because some of them kind of will be, although God's ultimate heart is mercy. How many of them are just consequences of, of the bad choices? Or, you know, back to that Leviticus thing where the earth is just going to spit them out. How, how do you, what's, what's the difference? How do you know? I don't know. But I lean more towards as far as possible, as much as possible. These kind of things are just the consequences of man's bad choices. You, you, you get drunk and get in your car and drive 100 miles an hour and smash into a wall. Are you going to blame God for that? Is that his doggone fault? Or is that a consequence of your bad choices? 
If you're having premarital sex regularly all the time and you happen to get pregnant, are you going to shake your fist at God and blame him for that? Or are you going to own responsibility for, you shouldn't have done that. Now, there's 100% forgiveness. It's not an issue of God's mad and he won't forgive you. But so much of this is consequence. And these people refuse to see what's coming on this earth as a wake-up call. That it's not too late to repent, to turn from sin and realize, oh God, I need your grace and mercy. No, I'd rather die than bow my knee to that God. Because their picture of him is so skewed and so false. There's another huge contributing influence and factor that we're going to look at next week when we get to the end of this chapter. There is a spirit, I'll give you this much, there is a spirit at work in the world today that is inordinately powerful and has influenced countless numbers of people to bring them to the same kind of position. I will not, I will not bow my knee, serve him, love him, come to him. From our side of the fence, it just seems, how can anyone do this? But you'll see next week, this is a powerful, powerful spirit. Why five months? That's the lifespan of a locust. And so perhaps that's the reason. I don't know. But now it gets really weird. If you think it hasn't been weird up till now, watch this. These locusts, they had the appearance of the locusts. It was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads appeared to be a crown like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of a woman. Their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and they sting and their tail is their power to hurt men for five months. This to me is John saying seven times in this this passage, it's like this, it's like that, it's like this, it's like that, it's like this, it's like that. And it appeared to be this because he is absolutely beside himself. How in the world do I describe to people? How do I put into words what in the world I'm seeing here? Incidentally, remember I talked about Joel 1 and 2? There's a lot of parallel here because the Joel passage talked about these locusts as being like horses and having teeth like iron. So it might be worth your time to go read that. These are demonic spirits that look like some sort of mutant animal. And poor John has no place to put this. Never seen anything like this. But you know, I was online this week and I saw there was an article in the United Kingdom Daily Mail, one of the newspapers in London, and it was an article about scientists who were working really hard to clone embryos that were half human and half animal under the guise of this will really help scientific research to cure diseases. Now, they're not there yet, but let's face it, this is not so far-fetched, okay? We have people working to make these kind of mutant animals. Is that God's will? No, that's men trying to play God, and God saying, as Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? But you see, we've, we've moved, folks, from a time when John writes this and he can't imagine how in the world this could ever be to where, oh, they're working on this already over in Europe and who knows what they're working on here in the States. Whew. All right, here we go. We've covered chapter, uh, verse 11 already. Here's, here's the end. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these. That trumpet has sounded, okay? It doesn't mean these events have already happened, 
but it means the vision of what's to come is already over. Hasn't come yet, but it is coming. You made it all the way around the world? Oh, Rob, way to go. But you know what? We're talking eternity, so keep going. On you go. Keep going. Folks, get this, okay? It's going to be terrible. It's going to be a calamity. It's going to be horrible. But it's a dot in the scope of eternity. So God's word to you and to me today are these words from Jesus. When you see these things beginning to take place, and Luke 21 is him talking about the end times and the signs, what's going to be happening before you come again. When you see these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Let's stand, okay? Father, um, we're grateful today for this reality check. Uh, We're not for one moment going to deny how horrible, awful, evil, terrible this world is going to become. And Lord, we've seen a shift from the natural disasters and the consequences of sin to a place now where demonic hordes are going to be unleashed against the people who refuse to know you, who are rebellious and wicked and evil. Lord, if we're still here, we thank you for your promise of sovereign protection because we are sealed by the Spirit of God. We are yours. Help us, Lord, do what Jesus called us to do. Straighten up. To not come under fear, to not listen to Revelation 9 and go, oh no, but to to rather say, oh yes, my Redeemer is on the way. We bless you for that today. We praise you for that. We are a people who are thankful, who are grateful, and who are expectant of the great things you will continue to do in spite of the mess that this world gets itself into. Lord, we can see that big picture macrocosm. We can take it down to our individual lives and see what a redeemer you are in the midst of our own personal messes. And we want to thank you for that today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you need prayer, we're officially done, but we've got some folks who are going to make their way up front here who have been trained and prepared and who know how to pray, who know how to hear God. So if you've got any kind of need for prayer, you make your way forward. These folks will be happy to engage you, to join with you in praying for whatever it is you need prayer for, okay? Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.